Welcome to Coffee Powered Systems, equipping women with actionable steps to overcome overwhelm and streamline business and life. So grab your favorite drink and come hang out with me. I'm your host, Miranda Merton. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Coffee Powered Systems. I want you to grab your favorite drink and come chat with me. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite tools that I use every single day, the Google Calendar. Talking about calendars probably seems super basic, right? I know, but I'm going to give you a few extra tips for ways that you can use your Google Calendar that you might not be using. So hopefully I can give you a tip today that you aren't doing that might actually change the way you look at your calendar. So kick back and let's chat. All right, the first thing I want you to do when you are setting up your personal productivity in your Google Calendar is to set up multiple calendars. A lot of people use multiple calendars already. So if this is familiar to you, then you're gonna know what I'm talking about. I use multiple calendars and I love it. You might be thinking your calendar is the calendar. Why do you need multiple ones, right? I personally have like 10 separate calendars and they're not all on at the same time. So if they were, obviously my calendar would be a color-coded mess of things that I have on there every single day. But I love using multiple calendars within my one calendar because you can tick each calendar on and off as you like. And I'll talk about what that means in just a second. I color code all of my calendars and here's some ideas of what I have and what you can use your calendars for as well. I have a birthday and anniversary calendar, a calendar for accounts and bills. You can use it for shared calendars like school activities or time off. So if you and your spouse have separate work schedules and you want to let the other person know when you're going to be off, you can use it for that. Or also if you are in a an organization that also has a time off calendar, you can kind of see when people on your team are going to be out of the office. School activities, you can share that calendar with your kids or other family members then everyone can kind of see what the school activities are going to be. I put when I need to go into the school or if I need to bring treats or snacks or anything like that for school-related activities. You can do sports calendars and holidays, which Google has a really great option to actually subscribe to those special calendars is what they call them. So you can subscribe to your favorite sports team and all of their games will show up on there. Funny thing is right now I am subscribed to the Atlanta Braves calendar and the Atlanta United calendar for soccer. And right now I see all of their games and what they should have been, but we're in the middle of a pandemic, so there is nothing going on at the moment. And I live where I live. I can see the Atlanta Braves baseball stadium from my house. Normally they have fireworks going on and all that stuff. And there's been nothing for months and it's kind of sad, but I digress. <laughs> and you can also do a TV show calendar. If you have favorite shows that come on during certain on days of the week, I don't watch a whole lot of shows live anymore. So I don't even know when shows are on. So sometimes I'll put on a TV calendar. This show airs on Wednesday nights so that if I get up, you know, on Thursday and I'm like, oh, let's see what was on last night. I can watch the on demand version. 
So like I said before, I like using the separate calendars because you can tick those on and off. There's a little checkbox next to each calendar and you can click the check mark and that calendar will automatically go off. If you put everything on one calendar, say my calendar, my main calendar is Miranda Merton. If I have everything on there, I can't just turn off the school stuff or turn off the TV or turn off the bills. Everything's going to be on there all the time. And sometimes I don't want to see all that stuff on my calendar at all times. So here's how I set up my birthdays and anniversary calendar. I add the birthday or anniversary for each person or couple that I want to remember. I also include the year next to their name in parentheses. So this is really important for me when it comes to birthdays of my nieces and my friends' children because I can't remember all their ages off the top of my head. So I'll put, you know, Susie's name and in parentheses put 2007. That way I know okay, it's 2020, she's going to be this age. And then that is especially important for me because then I can celebrate those big milestones. If someone is turning 10, I definitely want to send more than a card. Or if they've got their 16th birthday coming up, that's going to be super important. So I put the year in there to make sure that I am aware of any milestones. I also add a blocker a week or two out to send that person a card so a week out, I'll say, send Jimmy a birthday card. Or two weeks out, I'll say, send Jimmy a gift. If that's a person that I would normally get a gift for. The younger ones, I definitely will send gifts for, especially on those bigger occasions. All of my older friends and my family members, they don't really need a gift anymore. So I'll just send a card or an acknowledgement for those. Next, I add any seasonal things. So things I don't remember to do on a regular basis. Like I have a Keurig coffee machine, so I don't know when the last time I changed the filter is. That's what my calendar is for. I'll put that on there. I think it's like every two months, change the Keurig filter. Same thing goes with my air conditioning filters and uh, my quarterly taxes. So things like that that are seasonal that might escape my brain, I go ahead and put those on there so I don't forget them. I can check the week before. I usually check the Sunday night. I'll look at my upcoming week and see if there's anything I need to make note of or be aware of. And that way I will be prepared for it. And then when that day comes, I look at the calendar again in the morning and I'm like, okay, I need to change the filter some point today. Another tip, whenever I sign up for something that has a free trial, especially if I'm not sure if I'm going to keep it, I'll count out the days of the free trial, whether it's like 7 or 30. And a couple days before, I will put on the calendar two or three days before, cancel whatever trial. And I make sure it's a few days before because some people do require you to reach out to the support email. And I want to make sure I have enough time to give them at least one to two days to respond to me where my trial would not be over yet. If it's something that I think I'm going to keep using, then I'll go ahead and add it to my bill pay calendar. Also, if you know that you're not going to keep something and you really are just signing up for it uh, for the trial, like I did a subscription to Hulu specifically for one show and their trial period is 30 days and I knew I would be able to watch that show. It was only one season. So I knew I was going to be able to watch that show 
in the 30 days during the trial, but there was nothing else really on Hulu that I wanted to see or keep it for. I have Netflix and I have Amazon and I have on demand for my basic cable. So other than the one show that Hulu created, I didn't really want to see anything else on there. So I knew I wasn't going to keep it past the 30 days. I went ahead and canceled it pretty much immediately after I signed up. And a lot of companies will let you run out the trial period and then you don't have to worry about it. So I canceled it right away. I still put on my calendar the end of the trial day. So I knew when my access was going to be over. But it also gives me a heads up that I need to go back and check and make sure that it is actually canceled because I don't want any surprise charges, especially when I thought I canceled it. I do have, like I said, I do have a bill pay calendar and I'll put my bills on there on each date that they're due. I pay my bills twice a month. So the first of the month, I'll pay the first half of the bills. Some of them aren't ready yet and processed and they don't show up, especially the ones that are due on the in the 20s. They don't produce their statements until later in the month. So I'll save those for the second half of the month. But I do like to know when my bills are due and if anything goes wrong, then I'll know exactly when I'm supposed to pay that bill. For my bill pay calendar, I will also put either where I purchased it. So I have my account link in there. So if I do ever want to cancel it or if I need to get in touch with customer service, the link is already in the notes section. So I can just easily click on it and go right to my account. Obviously, I have to sign in first. So my passwords will already be uh, saved in there, but it goes right to the account. So I don't have to worry about it. And I also make a note of where I paid for it. If I used a credit card directly, then I know I have to go to the website to change it. The only other times that that would be different is if I used PayPal, sometimes I'll have to cancel it in PayPal, or if it's an app from the app store, I have to cancel it from the app. So especially for PayPal and Apple, I wanna put where I purchased it or where I signed up for the subscription. That way I'm not wandering around to all these different sites trying to figure out where the heck I paid for my subscription and where I can cancel it because that can be really annoying. So once you sign up for a service, go ahead and put where you signed up for it or if you paid with a credit card. Also, I like to put the credit card that I use. If it's Amex or Visa, I'll put that in parentheses so I know exactly which card it's on. That also comes in handy because if I get a notice that says, hey, something's wrong with your card, it didn't go through, then I know immediately, oh, that's on my Amex. Either it expired or I need to call American Express and figure out if it's a fraud thing or if my account is just getting overdrawn. So definitely you wanna do that as well. That's gonna help you save a lot of time jumping through hoops, figuring out which card things are on and all of that. The next thing you can do with your Google Calendar is set up goals. You'll have to do this in the mobile app first and then you can manage it on the web version if you'd like. When you create a goal in the Google Calendar, it'll ask you how much time you wanna spend on it, whether it's 15 minutes, an hour, or you can customize it. It'll ask you how many days a week you'd like to do it. And it does give you a few different options. It gives you exercise, me time, learning a new skill, you just pick one of those and it'll kind of walk you through, give you some fun options, or you can always customize and choose any goal that you want. And what Google does is it automatically adds it 
to your calendar and it automatically schedules it. If you say, I want to do these in the morning, it runs through your calendar and then it picks a good time that seems like it would work based on all of the other events in your calendar and it automatically adjusts. So if you say, I want to exercise on the Peloton every morning for 30 minutes, it will pick a 30 minute block on your calendar every that works for every morning. So if 7 a.m. works, it'll say 7 a.m. in the mornings looks good. Does that work? And you can adjust it or you can say yes. If you say yes, it automatically adds them all to your calendar. If for some reason you have to do something one morning and you add an event to your calendar that conflicts with your goal, it will automatically update your goal for you. So you don't even have to worry about that. The last thing about the goals is it does send you reminders 10 minutes ahead of time, which you can turn those off, and it'll send you a little notification on your phone that says, hey, you had the goal to learn French at 9 a.m. Did you do it? And you can click, I did it. And then what it does is it gives you a little goal tracker on your goals. So it's just a little fun thing to do. If you are one of those people that likes to add goals on there and you need a tracker, I just added uh, three goals to mine and I've been playing around with it for a little bit. Another thing I wanted to tell you about is the scheduling feature on Google. If you work at a company where you have to schedule meetings with others, Google Calendar has a couple of options that you can use to help schedule these meetings. The first one is the suggested time feature. Underneath the place where you add the calendar invitees on the right-hand side, you'll see something that says suggested time. When you click that, a drop-down list of all the available times that seem to work for everyone will be on that list. It just makes it super easy to just click, pick one, and then add everybody to it. They also have the find a time feature, which is usually on the other side, and that one will give you a view of everyone's calendar. Of course, you have to be able to see the calendar or they have to be in your company or be on a Gmail account. If you can see everyone's calendar, it kind of gives you a better idea of who's going to have a back-to-back -back meeting versus they might be available, but maybe they don't want a back-to-back -back meeting. Okay, so that kind of gives you a better idea visually how to pick a time that works for everyone. Another really cool tip for your Google Calendar, you can add Facebook events. So if you are in a Facebook group that does a lot of group events, and instead of going into Facebook and doing those manually to your calendar, you can subscribe to that group calendar. So from your events page in Facebook, you're going to right click on the upcoming events tab from your right hand sidebar. You're going to copy that link and then open Google Calendar. On the left, it has a section where it says other calendars, and that's how you add your subscriptions to other calendars by URL. So you'll add it by URL, copy the Facebook event page link that you just copied in there, and then all of the Facebook events for that group will pop up. That's really helpful, especially when the admin doesn't add all of the group calls all at once. You know, every few months they might add a few more. I think Facebook only lets you add a couple months out at a time anyways. So you won't even have to worry about updating those yourself. It'll automatically update if they have to change a time or if they have to remove a call. So it makes it super easy if you are in an active group or if you are an active member of a group, I would suggest going ahead and subscribing to the events calendar for your favorite Facebook groups. 
All right. And my last two things that I wanted to talk about. Number one is the appointment slots. I know you've probably seen when you create a Google Calendar event, you see the option that says appointment slots. If you don't have a booking system like Calendly or Acuity, you can just use this appointment feature. So if you don't need all the bells and whistles that typically come with one of those advanced schedulers, this Google appointment slot is going to suit you just fine. You block out your appointments and then you can say, I want the appointments to be 60 minutes long or 30 minutes long. You can name them if you're doing 60 minute strategy calls, 60 minute one-on-one -on -one sessions, name that block and then people can book based on which one they want. Then if you click on one of your appointment blocks, there is a link. It says, get this appointment link. You copy that link and that is the link that you will give to people to book time on your calendar. When they open up that link, it shows all of the available slots, whatever you name them, and the time frame that you're allowing them to book, and they can book time on your calendar, easy peasy. Now, it's not going to be as pretty and fancy as the other schedulers. It just looks like an old school calendar blocker system. But if you just need something that can give times to people to get on your calendar without all the back and forth emails, then this will do the trick. All right. And the last one is the automatically decline invites with the out of office feature. I never use the out of office feature. I actually just found it pretty recently. Again, when you go to create an invite, there is the slot that you normally see, and then you have the appointment slots, and then you have the out of office slot. You'll click on the out of office side, and once you create that event, you mark it as an out of office event. It will automatically decline invites sent to you during that time. So if you have a block Say from 7 to 9 a.m., that's your time with the kids. You don't take meetings. You don't take phone calls. Go ahead and block that time for you as out of office. If anyone for any reason decides they want to just send you a calendar invite during that time, they will automatically get a decline email saying that you're out of office during that time. Again, just another way to avoid the back and forth emails and saying, hey, I'm not available at that time. You want to choose another time. Okay, so those are my tips. I think I gave you about seven uh, that you can use to start using your Google Calendar a little bit better. It's more than just a calendar. And if you incorporate even, you know, two more of those things, you'll be a lot more productive and a lot more organized when it comes to using your calendar for your life. All right, it's Q&A time. If you have a question about systems, workflows, or you just want a recommendation, visit the link in the show notes to leave a voice recorded message for me. There's nothing to download and your name is optional. Just hit record and send. Then listen for your question in an upcoming episode. Okay, today's listener question is, what tools can I use for converting video or MP4 to MP3? Okay, I see this a lot and I see people getting confused and tripped up with just being stuck at certain points. And because they can't convert the audio to the particular audio that they're supposed to be using, they stop and it stalls for another few days. This is one of those things that's not as scary and confusing as you think it is. And then once you do it the first time, you're like, oh, is that it? And then you can move on with life. First, let's talk about the different file types. An MP4 is typically your video and audio. It'll have a video and audio file attached to it. That's what you're usually seeing if you see something, you know, on a YouTube, it's an MP4, okay, video and audio. The 
M4A is going to be the audio only file. And that's what a lot of people will have as the audio only file. It's good quality, it's compressed, and it's a lossless file. And then you have the MP3 file, and this is typically what a lot of people want to convert it to because some places only want you to upload an MP3 file. It's also a compressed audio file. The quality is not as good as the M4A file, but you know, sometimes programs just say upload an MP3. So we find ourselves in a position where we need just the MP3 file. So here's how you can convert your M4A file to an MP3 file. If you are on a Mac and you have either iMovie or QuickTime Player, the file you download as an audio is gonna be an MP3 file. iMovie actually does give you an option to do a few more versions, like a WAV file and then a couple other ones that I don't know about and I've never used. But when you export your file from iMovie or QuickTime Player as the audio only file, you end up with the MP3 file. So if you have a Mac, you can upload it into those programs and then re-download it as the mp3. One that I use all the time is called Online Audio Converter. You can convert so many things on that website. A lot of them I don't use because I only use those few uh, most popular files. Go on there, you can convert it for free, easy peasy, upload it, convert it, and download it, and you're done. Also, similar, there's a website called Convertio. Convert Io. So that one you can use as well. The size of the files or the amount of files you can do per day is limited on that one. So I tend to use the online audio converter more often. Also, if you're using dedicated software like GarageBand, Audacity, or any other editing software, those will allow you to download the file that you want to use, whether it's WAV, MP4, MP3. You shouldn't have a problem there. Quick tip. If you have the MP4 version, which remember we said was the video plus the audio version, you can just rename the extension on the file to M4A and they'll just play the audio for you. So you don't even need to convert it if you are going from MP4 to M4A. Just change the dot extension part to dot M4A. Let it convert, should probably just take a few seconds and then you can play it just like normal. All right, I hope you will be able to take either the tips from the Q&A and finally convert those files if that step has been holding you back, or go ahead and implement some of those new ideas with your Google Calendar. That's it for today. Join me next time. Thanks for listening to Coffee Powered Systems. You can find links to everything mentioned in the episode down in the show notes or on the website at mirandamerton.com. If you enjoyed this episode and would love to continue mastering your workflows and processes, subscribe on your favorite podcast player and join me here next time.